Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show. And uh, today I'm here with an e-commerce email marketing business co-founder, uh, Adam Kitchen. He's the co-founder of Magnet Monster. And uh, at the moment he's in Cape Town, South Africa, but he's usually in the UK. And uh, hey Adam, it's good to have you here. How are you? Pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, as you can see in the backgrounds, this is definitely not England. This is sunny South Africa, so I'm enjoying it. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. What is your story? Please share with us. How did you start with your agency? If you had any business before or any agencies before? Yeah, so to cut a very long story short, I've been in e-commerce since I was 17. I'm 32 now. So back in the days when everything was custom coded and built from scratch, and it was still a relatively novel thing, I suppose. Um, I started then. And I was actually a, a kindergarten teacher was what my dream job was. And I went to do that in Asia. Well, I was always into selling um, nutritional supplements online. That was where I cut my teeth in the industry. And I was actually really interested in content marketing, so community building. And that was the main focus of like my digital marketing experience for the company I was working with in the UK. And email was always involved in the mix even back then. In fact, it was a, it was a power channel, um, just like it still is today. So I was always doing a little bit of email uh, with constant contact and some other software, but generally just like newsletter broadcasts. And I used to really love creating all the content, putting the newsletters together. Ultimately, I gave up the teaching when I was like 25, did the whole digital nomad thing for, you know, a couple of years. And um, then I went back to the UK, started an e-commerce store selling supplements with my business partner at the time. Um, it didn't work out. And then I went back into the agency world, worked for one of the co-founders now who I'm in business with. And um, we just realized there was a niche with Clavio and email marketing. Obviously, I, I knew the, the channel already. And we just really just rode on the back of the coattails of Clavio and Shopify's growth surge, I suppose. And we said we wanted to do like a boutique agency, just specialize in e-commerce, CRM. And here we are today, sort of three years on. Just enjoying the journey, trying to do a great job for our clients. So I guess your your store that you mentioned, that was before the Shopify era, right? It was custom coded. So we, I've been involved in, in multiple stores in uh, geograph, different geographical locations. My previous store was actually on WooCommerce, unfortunately, <laughs> which was okay. Um, I think there's pros and cons to any e-commerce platform. But uh, in hindsight, obviously, I think Shopify would have been a better option for what we were selling. But... Again, this this swings and roundabouts with all these platforms. I don't think anyone's perfect. Yeah, very interesting. So you started this agency around uh, 2018, something like that? Yes, yes, late uh, 2018, yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, how many people do you have now in the team? On our team, we have um, 60, 17 people. That's including myself. And in terms of clients, we, we, we have not really gone for a volume approach, I would say. We're trying to work with more established brands. So we don't have like 50 to 100 clients. We probably have like 15 to 20 at the moment, um, which is quite a low ratio considering like how many staff we've got. 
But the reason is because we, they, they require like really high end strategy and that's how we position our services. And as you know, when you're selling that, that takes more time. You need to do more data analysis for heavy reporting and a lot more meetings with the clients. And that's just how we're positioned in the market. We will yeah. do based um, automation setups um, as well. But generally speaking, we're trying to work like long term on really high end strategy. Share with us more how this looks like. So I'm an e-commerce client and I want to work with you. Then what's the first step where we start? It's a good question. I think obviously it depends what level of your business you're in, right? Like if you're just starting out, then you can't go wrong with the basics that everybody knows. Just focus on your automation setup. And then we will always go over the fundamentals first. And I've written my own email marketing or CRM methodology and That always comes first. So the basics that everyone knows, we will look at whether you have your abandoned cart, browse, abandonment, welcome series, lead generation. Um, and then obviously you go into your campaigns as well. But generally speaking, the people who approach us, they've already got that type of stuff set up and they want more, I would say, bespoke strategy. And they say like, okay, we've not necessarily maximized revenue from email, but we're at a good level, but we want something more. And I think this is where, we've positioned ourselves as an agency so we're trying to integrate a lot of qualitative research helping with that zero party data capture feeding it back into the front-end acquisition strategy um automating more ugc collection ambassador programs so we're trying to look at the whole business holistically and see how email can play a part in that and obviously because you're creating these really intricate automations and feedback loops again this this adds overheads for an agency, which is probably the most, not the most profitable, but again, that's where I really enjoy my work. And I think also our team are, are really like trying to um, set the standards in. So I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say like, you know, the fundamentals that everyone needs to do, we don't do them, we do. But I would say that's like what we're trying to do, add additional value to our clients, like qualitative research, zero party data strategy, supporting the full funnel with acquisition and research methods as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's all research back then and you do the data analysis. It's really interesting because, uh, you know, I know a few email agencies and many of them, they just uh, use uh, almost like a one size fits all solution. They use that for all the brands. And of course, uh, if you just started out with your e-commerce store, then you can do it and it's relatively cheap. But at some point, it's it's not enough. Your customers, they want a more unique experience, more customized experience. And of course, the more data you have as a business about them, the more you can uh, personalize the email. So I think it becomes really important. And just to know the lifetime value of the different customers, different segments. By the way, do you use Klaviyo for that so to, to track these or maybe do you use something else? We use a mixture. It, it really depends on the clients. Sometimes they have you know great tools at their disposal um, that we try and tap into. But it's a combination of, yeah, I think you can get a lot out of Klaviyo if you really push yeah. it to the limits beyond the basics and i'm not just talking about like oh how much you know revenue does it generate and what's the open and click-through rate actually like you have a lot of scope to go really deep into segmentation but probably i could probably go off on a tangent on that subject combination of ga obviously was is always i think important and then we also um have built our own dashboards with tablao or tablao however you pronounce it um, okay. and we use that to look at like long-term trends on opens clicks revenue Um, list growth and some other metrics as well so we're trying to use a combination of everything and obviously if the client has access to things like glue.io we'll even sort of integrate these as well and, and dacity like these are other great tools so 
it depends on the individual client's needs. And as I said to you, during onboarding, where are they up to in their business, right? Do they have the basic setup? If not, then you don't really need to go this deep, put the fundamentals in place. But if they do, then you need to look at more sophisticated systems. So what's the time from first purchase to second purchase? How can you optimize that experience to um, drive repeat sales? So again, it, it just depends on the client's business and what, what type of tech stack they already have that we can tap into. Uh, on our end, we tried Reveal by Omniconvert. And uh, it uses an RFM approach, recent, I think it's recency, frequency, and monetary. So it tracks these three things. And uh, based on that, you can uh, segment your list. I just had the marketing, di- the ex-marketing director of that company, Juliana, and she told me that if you don't make at least eight figure a year or even more, like 20, 30 million a year, then uh, it just doesn't make sense to use it. So... And we got the same conclusion with, you know, with those clients, like six, seven figure clients, they don't need that. Maybe the bigger ones, they they need it, but it's usually used by bigger, even corporate level businesses. Clavio is enough. And I think we have one client where we use Matrilo or Matrio and uh, it reminds me to Google Analytics. Yeah, Matrilo is an interesting tool. Actually, I have some experience migrating someone a couple of years ago from there, but um, to touch on RFM, I think it's, it's almost became a bit of a buzzword. And I'm not saying it yeah. doesn't work, but, you know, like you, you need the volume of data from what I've seen to really leverage it. And I think I'm a big fan of segmentation. You know, it'd be stupid to say not to segment. Obviously, it makes sense. But what's off, often not taken into account is the resource allocation put towards segmentation. So you can go super granular, right, with like, send a campaign to 10 to 20 different segments, but how much efforts does the agency have to put in to reach those customers? And is it worth, you know, the ultimate ROI? If you had all time and, you know, you had the, you could prove it was a positive ROI, then yeah, obviously invest in it. But I'm actually a fan of quite broad segmentation where you try and target as many people as possible, because I think it's economical for the brand. And I think from, um, an advertising perspective, it just makes sense to try and keep it broad to reach as many people as possible. So I was all about going super narrow for a long time, uh, because when you look at the short term metrics, like, of course, the open rate is higher and the click through rate, if you know how to personalize something to the dot. But the reality is a lot of customers actually share overlapping attributes in many stores. And if you have limited in-house resource or even for an agency, you need to take into account how much money you're spending on them. And what's the, you know, the total reach and results of, of those campaigns. So I think it's quite a nuanced conversation. It's no right or wrong. It depends on a lot of individual factors. But RFM, I think, is a bit overhyped at the moment, if I don't say so myself. You know, the big companies, they use the RFM model quite well. And of course, the SMBs, the smaller companies, they want to use it as well because, you know, it's sexy and the big company uses that. But it's not always applicable. I, I think the same. Yeah. And segmentation, yeah, I totally agree. So you can go granular, but, you know, at some point it just doesn't make sense. You don't have the ROI because you have to put so much human effort into that, so many hours and and all of that. It just doesn't make sense. You could run multiple tests and obviously you can prove that you get better returns on a short-term basis from creating multiple campaigns to really granular segments. But how much time, how much effort do you have to put into that? As an example, we work with a 
cleaning company. And a while ago, we pre- we found out which room they hated cleaning the most in the house, the bathroom, the kitchen, you know, doing the mm-hmm. laundry. And we created like sort of seven to eight campaigns based on this after we collected that uh, zero party data. And obviously every email was personalized to them, right? And like sent out to these segments based on which room they said they hate the most. And it, it did like, you know, 10% click rate, which is amazing. Yeah. If you look at the amount of effort we had to put into that strategy, which which did work, of course, how would it have been more conducive to just send like a broad email? Like if you hate cleaning the bathroom, because people who hate cleaning the kitchen and the bedroom and the laundry, they also might hate cleaning the bathroom. So there is an overlap for sure. Yeah, you can over the living example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's again, I think one thing we've done, or at least me personally, I've stopped looking at oh, you know, six percent click rate or ten percent click rate versus one percent click rate. Actually, like what's the total amount of side sessions that you drive and how economical can you be with with moving that like the total volume of browsing sessions up on the website? And I also know that so you mentioned your research is, is qualitative and also data backed, but you create not just emails but uh, lead magnets. This is the name of the company, right? Magnet Monster. So I'm curious, what's your approach on on lead magnets? Because most people, I think, they just use a discount in e-commerce. It's a good question. So basically, let me give you the context of our name because it probably doesn't make too much sense. I really sense. want to know it now. <laughs> so obviously, everybody probably knows OptinMonster, which yeah. is lead gen software. We originally sort of started the company out more focused, I would say, on the lead gen side of things, so optimizing for data collection on site, and then just basic automation. The name Magnet Monster was basically a spin-off Optin Monster but magnets to obviously attract business um, leads. And then we sort of did a small pivot and just niche down more towards, you know, solely e-commerce, like campaign mm-hmm. retainers and just overall email management. So we were stuck with the name at that point and we liked the branding and I'm happy we've still got it now. But lead magnets in general, we used to do really beautiful lead magnets, put a huge amount of effort into them. And my opinion is a lot of them have became obsolete because gating content for the sake of generating leads, I just don't think it makes much sense. I would rather give the information for free, build credibility and authority with a much broader audience. And then, I mean, if they're going to buy from you, they're going to buy from you. They don't need to opt in with an email address. So it's sort of like... um, a false sense of ROI or, you know, it's, it's a bit of a bullshit KPI in my opinion, because generating leads for the sake of generating leads, when you can disseminate the information for free and add value, you're going to end up with the, the same result most time anyway. So most lead magnets, in my opinion, should just be published on site for free and let the customers consume it that way, because if they're going to buy, they're going to buy it, not because they put an email into your website and got some really like fancy looking PDF. So yeah, I don't think that most of the time they're worthwhile anymore. Do you think uh, the same applies for B2B, by the way? Because we tried it and we didn't get that amazing results. What, what we tried last year is webinars and we wrote two eBooks and we yeah. tried making it uh, gated and then not gated. So for example, this live stream now is not gated. Everyone can see it on Facebook, LinkedIn. And it gets more engagement than uh, and the podcast. It gets more engagement than a gated content. However, we cannot collect emails. So what do you think is, you know, it's better to share it and more people can see it or it's, it's better to collect the emails and you have their contact and 
you can go further. And can you see a difference between B2B and e-commerce or, or not really? I think in many, I think there's a lot of similarities that people try and separate out and, and consider them completely different. But actually the customer journey is, is very similar in both. People yeah. seek validation from fair parties and referrals and word of mouth. And there's a lot of touch points and they want to interact and see that you know what you're talking about. And you probably see, right, like I've got my own newsletter. I produce huge amounts of content for free on our website. And I was always very worried, like, oh, I'm giving away all strategies that we use. But actually, the more I give away, the more business it's generated for us. So that's really shaped my thinking as well. And obviously, this is in a B2B context. And the amount of messages inbound I get from um, even other marketers as well as business tells me at least I think that was the right move. And if I would have gated it, I don't know, would I have got the same results? Probably not, because I think people just want the instant, you know, gratification of the knowledge, forcing them to opt in for an ebook or something just for the sake of giving them something that will have the same result regardless. I just don't see the point. It just adds a layer of friction. So you could maybe say as well on a website, right? Like what why force someone to opt in for a discount code? Why not just plaster it over the top of the site? And I think there's a credible argument for that for first-time customers. So yeah, ultimately B2B, I don't don't think it's too different to journey than e-commerce. I think just prove the value and credibility and the buyers will come. I think the same. And uh, also I think it's good to ask ourselves, when did I subscribe to someone's newsletter because I wanted to go to a webinar or download an ebook? I mean, look, like you see it on LinkedIn all the time. It's usually the same tech companies over and over again, producing quite fluffy content, in my opinion, that let's be honest, like it's, it's sort of content for the sake of content. There's not really any novel strategy or value in these. And I just, I've never registered for one personally. I was like, if you've, if you've got something to say that's interesting, just post it. But the people on LinkedIn who post great content every single day, I follow them religiously and I'm, I'm excited whenever I see them share new content and, you know, I don't need to sign up to a gated ebook to buy from those people or do business with them when the time is right. I'm just going to go to them because I have a need. So I think that's the blueprint to follow these days. Maybe it's just my impression, but I think the higher ticket product or service you sell, the more it becomes true. I have the impression that if you sell a software for $10 a month or 20 then yeah, people will subscribe and they will download the ebook and then they will buy. It's, a, it's an easy buy. But if they want to go to an agency and pay $5,000, it doesn't really matter if they subscribe to a webinar or not. I mean, at the, end, at the end of the day, right, like what, what is the purpose of these ebooks and everything? It's knowledge distribution and showing yeah. value. So yeah. I don't understand why gating it is a prerequisite to delivering that value. Obviously, it's nice to have someone's data, but just start a newsletter. Like we've got a newsletter where people willingly opt in because they want to receive. It's valuable. Yeah, because it's, it's not because I'm forcing them to. I don't only send the content to people if they opt in. I just say, like, it's going to be released on this day. And, you know, as we know, email is just a great channel to deliver the content. So stay up to date with it. You don't have to subscribe to the newsletter to consume my content. And ultimately, if I release a course or you want to do business with me, you're going to do it anyway, whether you're subscribed to the newsletter or not. It doesn't make much difference. Email is not dead. <laughs> Based yeah, on what you said. So... People, they still subscribe to newsletters because the content is so great. I'm saying this to the listeners, especially because I think many people, they, they don't believe that. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about loyalty. So what are the most common ways, you, you know, how you try to uh, make the customers more loyal and, and come back again and again to the stores of your clients? Maybe do you use any loyalty apps? Do you connect it with email? 
what's your take on that? Guys, I've got a lot of thoughts on loyalty. I could talk about it all day. But ultimately, there's no magic silver bullets that anyone in CRM, email, and SMS can do to drive repeat loyalty. Yes, offers make a difference. Yes, you know, campaigns and automation all sort of moves the needle a little bit. But ultimately, let's be honest, if the product's crap and the customer service is bad, they're not going to buy again because they received emails. So email is just a touch point that we add onto the business that connects with people and keeps us top of mind. There's no magic technique that any email marketer can do to save a crap brand. So first of all, you need to have a good product that works. You need to have good customer service because these are the main two drivers of encouraging people to come back. And then email is a distribution channel to keep top of mind to people. That might be like a bit of an underwhelming answer, but I think that's the realistic position that we find ourselves in. And that's not to downplay what we do. There's only so much you can do to, to bring loyalty up in my experience. And what I mean by that is that every business, if it's a good product, sort of levels out around the same level of uh, repeat purchase rates and loyalty adding a loyalty program into the mix will not necessarily like increase your loyalty or retention rate from 20 to 40 percent it just doesn't work like that actually what you need to focus on is um, improving the mental and physical availability of your brand so you need to be everywhere you need to be convenient to buy like these are the main things that actually drive loyalty so if you're you know you look at like coca-cola i'm in south africa at the moment i go downstairs there's coca-cola in the lobby like it's in my mini bar here um, it's in the convenience store it's the same with nike and adidas the retention and repeat purchase rates is higher is because one it's a good product and two it's absolutely everywhere and easy to buy so yeah. i think these these are the main things that, that drive loyalty not like some type of uh, magic email campaign or loyalty program so they're the first two things i would focus on that being said email has a huge role to play in discovering bottlenecks as to why someone's not making repeat orders. So if you do have a low retention rate, then email can be a touch point, whether it's like MPS or just sending people qualitative like surveys to get feedback. Like where is the gap between the delivery and the expectation of the end user that's stopping them making that repeat sale? And no one ever talks about using email in this way, but that's a, like a really powerful research method that you can use to improve the full funnel. And I think because we've sort of pigeonholed email as like a sales channel for so long, we've forgot like all the amazing value you can get from it from using techniques like this. So that's like a high level overview of um, my thoughts on loyalty. I think I'm hamstrung by how good the brand is, how good their customer service is. After that, like I'm just trying to find out the positioning of what content and creatives I can produce that resonates with the customer and adds value to them. And I think you've just got to keep your emails engaging. And that means good design, things that make the customer want to open the email, consume the content. These are like the, the core things. So put time into researching this as well and testing things, obviously, to see what resonates with your audience. I would also add one more thing, which is the offer in your loyalty program. So that's probably the most important that you come up with a solid uh, incentive uh, to the people. And of course, if your product is not good and your brand is, is, you know, it doesn't really exist, then it won't help. But if you have already a solid uh, brand and product and you have some retention, then I think a solid loyalty offer can help a lot. So, and I can see so many businesses using bad offers, like uh, you get points and you can get a five or 10% discount if you collect a few points. And 
I think I was in Asia and them a few weeks ago and that they I asked about a loyalty card, how it works, and I can get 10% off after some points and okay, thanks. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad, but there are more creative ways than that, like a free product or or maybe you become some kind of VIP. You know, there are more creative ways. And uh, I think many marketers, they don't do a good job with that. And the other thing that you mentioned is uh, thing that Coca-Cola is everywhere and Nike and Adidas. I think that's why e-commerce brands should be in retail as well because that's the ultimate impulse buying when you just go to the corner shop you see coca-cola and you buy it not something else because it's not there so yeah i mean d2c is just a, a channel right like it's um it's got yeah. its limitations and ultimately something that everyone talks about but you have to target the whole market your buyers just don't buy on you know, direct consumer from your Shopify store. They're on Amazon, they're in retail, they're walking around outside. You have to find out as many places as you can get in contact with them as possible. And that's how you really grow a brand. And also, coincidentally, by acquiring more customers and being in more places, you'll simultaneously um, bring loyalty up. So yeah. great book on this is How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp, where he talks about this um, and the double jeopardy law. So this is something that's definitely worth checking out. And it's, um, you know, a lot of people say, like, if you treat your customers amazingly well, you'll, you'll move the retention rates up. Of course, you'll make a difference. But sometimes the best way to increase retention is to increase acquisition and be in more places and make your brand easier to buy. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Adam. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming to the podcast today. And uh, thanks, everyone who listened to us today or watched the live stream. And uh, stay tuned because every week we come with a new episode. If you like this episode, then uh, send us a review uh, and a rating on Apple Podcast and also on Spotify. And uh, yeah, thanks again. My pleasure, mate. Make sure to work with Daniel's agency. It's much better than mine. Thank you for having me. <laughs>